Welcome to the latest podcast from Exeter Expertise. Today we are discussing the future of work, first by looking at how work has changed over the last few years, and in particular, the effect of the COVID pandemic on the workplace. Then we're going to discuss what the future of work will mean for both individuals and organisations over the long term. My name is Toby Rowe, and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined today by three Exeter colleagues. Ilka Injolu, who is a professor of organisational behaviour and human resource management, along with her two colleagues, both from the Exeter Centre for Leadership, Professor in Practice Kira Estelle and Professor of Practice Greg Allen. Hello to all of you. Hello. Hi. Thank you very much for joining us. I'd like to start really taking a look back. We're very aware that the world of work is constantly changing. It has for hundreds of years. But for each of you, what would you say has been the biggest change in our lifetimes, perhaps over the last 15 years or so? Greg, perhaps you could start off. Thanks, Toby. I I think there's a context here uh, around what I would describe as longevity in terms of this concept of the 100-year life and healthy ageing. We're so used to the three-cycle life of education, work, retirement. And that's really moving now into a, a longer life, which involves longer working. And the implications of that on workplaces and for the workforce, particularly over the last 10 to 15 years, I think, is that we're seeing an aging workforce, people wanting to stay in employment longer, keep working, keep going. And that has uh, some positive implications, lots of implications, and some other things that organisations and individuals need to to work through. Um, But I suppose in terms of the the, the way that the business school and Extra Centre for Leadership is looking at this and this last 10 to 15 years, We're seeing the emergence of responsible leadership and the need for leaders, if you like, to be working to do good and not just the pure drive for profit. And at the same time, we're seeing much more interconnectedness in terms of the global workforce through the use of technology and organisational collaboration. And also, I suppose, uh, a recognition that the amount of travel and movement of people between workplaces and going about doing their work and the carbon footprint, the implications of that are real factors. And I think over the last 10 to 15 years, these concepts, this context, and these emerging changes have become really much more clear. Thanks, Greg. That's that's very insightful. Kira, Ilka, what would you add to that? I think that was really helpful, Greg, in terms of setting that scene. I think when I think about the last 10, 15 years, the the issue that really jumps up for me is around the notion of leadership within organisations and how that has changed over that time. Um, and what we expect from our leaders today. I mean, I can remember, you know, starting my career 25-ish years ago, where the people that were the leaders of the organisation that I worked for, if they said hello to you, you'd be really pleased. That sense of them being kind of distant and somehow kind of superior and senior and so on. And I just think that for the better, the notion of what a good leader in an organisation looks like has changed fundamentally and I'm sure we'll talk more about it in terms of Covid but I think that sense of what we want from our leaders what we feel we need from them in terms of that sense of purpose that you mentioned Greg um, being great communicators at getting that purpose out being authentic, compassionate, kind, all of those things that we want, but also to be driving us forward in terms of decisive leadership in a time of uncertainty. So for me, I think one of the biggest changes has been around this idea of what does good leadership look like in an organisation, but not just at the most senior levels within organisations. I think we've seen that growth 
over the last 10, 15 years. And, you know, this is where the business school has got so much to contribute and has contributed so much. That sense that there's leadership potential in everyone, wherever you work in an organisation, however you sit in the power hierarchy, actually everybody has leadership potential. And it's our job as leaders to unearth that talent, particularly diverse talent and support its development over time. And for me, you know, that's such a welcome development over that 10, 15 year period. Yeah, I agree with um, all these observations and I think all of them are linked. And one observation I'd like to add is about the technological changes. They, they seem to be pretty obvious, but I would say that the pace of change has been enormous in the last 15 years and is often being discussed as being more intense and disruptive. So not just economically in the way we see, for instance, new startups um, disrupting markets, but also in the way it has impacted leaders and their employees. And I think it has had an impact on how our leaders manage others in that you observe a lot more what we call shared leadership. So because of the, the way that teams work now globally and also with all the constant communications, but also because they have to be quite agile and quick and are often project-based, you see a lot more of this kind of shared leadership element. And that speaks to, Kira, what you mentioned. It's more kind of less a top-down task-focused leadership style, but it has to be a lot more adaptive. Thank you, all of you. That's great. I think coming on to COVID, I picked up a couple of points there. One was something you said, Kira, about, and, and certainly I, I recognise this from, from years ago, leaders being somehow distant, and you'd be amazed if the CEOs acknowledge you walking down the corridor. And, that, and that's certainly changed. Personally, I think it has anyway. And what you said there, Ilka, about the, the sort of speed of change in the technology. So I think related to what we've just well, in fact, what we're still going through with the COVID pandemic, how have these things manifested themselves in this very strange period of time that we've found ourselves in? And what do you think are some of the further changes that are going to come out of this particularly crazy period we're all living in? I mean, I think there's so much around well-being, and I'm sure Ilka will want to add to this, but I think you know my observations during this period of COVID is particularly actually in this latter period of, of lockdown, that staff teams, they look to work for meaning, they work to leaders for certainty, and in a very uncertain world, they're looking to their employers, to their leaders, to help them work through issues around their own well-being. And I think that has put leaders, even the most connected, effective, emotionally engaged leaders, into a quite a challenging space over this last 12 months. It's been a a period where the most resilient leader has found it difficult to communicate, keep that contact with their teams, provide the support that people are looking for, be reassuring, provide a bit of certainty. So I think there is something around that leadership that we've seen, as we said, over the last 10 to 15 years, get much closer to the employee at whatever level. But this has brought it even closer and has caused leaders to think about their own leadership style. How do they support people at this time of of change when there are no obvious solutions or answers necessarily and I think that's that's it's a challenging leadership environment that people have found themselves in one hopes that with an easing of the lockdown some of that will ease but I think this kind of whole issue around the leader's role in terms of supporting the wider health and well-being of their employees is not going to go away I think that's actually a great possibly positive outcome 
from COVID. And I find it's really fascinating to see again how technology played into that. Because on the one hand, technology has really um, enabled everyone to, for instance, uh, work from home in those jobs where it, it was possible. It was fascinating to see how rapidly leaders, their teams, whole organizations suddenly adapted to having to work from home really rapidly and then having to change how they operate, how teams work. And it was a big scramble often, or that's how it, it was perceived, but somehow organizations made it possible. So I think that's a, a big, big positive. And I would say one learning lesson so linked to what you said, Kira, is that so we've had all this technology change, the advancement, but one thing that doesn't go away is the, the need for human connection. And that's where leaders now reflected on um, how they manage others and the compassion. So I find it's really interesting to see on the one hand, technology has helped us through the pandemic by enabling us to connect with others, which has been great. But it has also shown us if we only communicate via technology, there is something missing. That's is the human connection. And you, you will never probably be able to go with without that. So it's like a fundamental need that we have. On that point of COVID, between the three of you, would you say it has been a overridingly positive changes are going to come out of this experience or negative? Where would you stand on that? I think some positive and some negative. I mean, one positive change I see is a that the flexibility has increased now for employees. Employees want more flexibility and employers see that it is possible to have more. So that can increase the autonomy and discretion that employees have at work, which is a really positive benefit for well-being. I guess one downside is that as offices, for instance, in the financial sector, banks are already cutting office space. A risk is that we, we don't manage a good transition where we do keep the human connectedness as we go back and that maybe some employees will work from home more frequently and feel perhaps disconnected from colleagues in the office. So that, that I see as a, as a big challenge and another negative outcome, which is an impact of COVID is, of course, the, the big job insecurity. So, It's interesting with the, the finance sector, just picking up on Ilka's point there. I think the finance sector, as an example, is split on this. You hear about one of the big organisations, global organisations, talking about working from home being, quote, an aberration and that everyone needs to rush back to the office and yet others are cutting their office space. When you compare that to tech companies who have said that staff can work from home permanently. Implications of that include perhaps there might be lower pay associated with that because they're no longer having to travel to the office. So I think these are all really relevant things that have happened as a result of the pandemic. And there'll continue to be some changing thinking, I think, around that. I'd like to just also pick up on a little bit more of the human aspects around fatigue and burnout and leading by laptop, as I describe it, because the skills that leaders will require in the future and these have been tested out during the pandemic to be able to lead via laptop remotely and influence teams, drive and support high performing teams, whilst also ensuring that there's productivity and that's how that balances with well-being. That's a real challenge for leaders. And I think that in terms of we'll come on to education 
later on, I think, but how we support leaders to develop those skills and have the confidence to keep going and find and deploy different ways to lead and influence their teams, whilst they're also facing potential burnout, isolation, and even trying to find the time and space themselves to think whilst they're being bombarded with online activity. I do think there will be a balance in the future, that we will come back to a balance, that this virtual way of working is here to stay. And just one other point to that, I would also highlight the particular thing for me in the pandemic about how that accentuated our understanding of the inequalities that exist for working women, for example, in leadership roles, their caring responsibilities becoming much more visible at work, and the need to change attitudes towards flexible working for women and men in that context. Would you say, looking at the pandemic, that working virtually has affected different demographics in different ways? So perhaps if you're just starting out in an organisation, actually you very much crave that, that human interaction, whereas if you've been working for 25, 30 years, perhaps it's an easier thing practically as well to work remotely. And then I think also, I guess, is, is the whole point that during this pandemic, people that have been able to work virtually are in some ways the lucky ones. Actually, large swathes of the workforce have had to be in physical organisations and physical places working. So I guess we need to be careful about how the pandemic's affected different demographics. Would you agree? I would definitely agree with that, Toby. I think there's a huge risk around making assumptions based on our own individual experiences. And I think that's something that we've got to be alive to, both in terms of what the virtual experience has been like for different demographic groups, but also remembering, and I think it's a very important point to remember that there are huge parts of our communities, our society that have been out there working. And actually, you know, for a lot of them, the virtual world hasn't been the reality. So I think, yes, of course, we hear stories of younger employees, maybe at more junior levels within organisations, stuck in flats in urban areas with very little space and all of the challenges. Then we've heard you know, more senior people in more rural areas with more space and actually hasn't that been nice. And I just think this is where good quality research comes in, isn't it? We've got to learn more about actually what has happened, what is happening and what might happen in the future. So I think we've just got to be cautious about jumping to assumptions to that. And you asked earlier about has it broadly been positive or negative? And maybe the answer is it's too early to know. And that a kind of responsive, adaptive organisation will be taking this time now to really reflect on and constantly reflect on, well, what has been good about the way that we've been working? What could be the future? Rather than making these rather brash statements, as Greg said, about anything that's not returning to the office is an aberration. A good learning organisation will be consulting with its staff now, talking to them, understanding how people do want to work. I mean, I'm hearing more and more organisations are doing that and the results that appear to be coming back, perhaps unsurprisingly, are that people want a hybrid way of working. They want to come in, see their colleagues one or two days a week if they're full time and they'll be able to work at home the rest of the week. But I think the next six months, the next 12 months, we'll understand that much more than we're able to today. I just wanted to add something from the evidence side. I think that's an excellent point. So the experience will have been very varied for different occupational groups. So when I look at our own research, so this is a project um, I've been working on with the University of Leicester and other partners. So we collected data across universities, two universities uh, with more than 800 people and found the well-being was affected by COVID mainly in May, less so in September. So we did that in two waves, uh, May, September, and then a follow-up survey 
just now. And two big factors came out that had an impact beyond everything else that was going on. And those were the level of autonomy people had. And the other one was social support, so the human connection. Plus then what started in summer was the worry about job insecurity. So I think we will see a lot of variability, but the social support aspect is one that people seem to have missed, at least in higher education across different age groups. I think that uh, the point around not every type of worker is able to work remotely is, is, is very fair. We've seen, for example, in primary care with GPs, historically, the view that you can't do anything other than face-to-face or to go online to deliver consultations would be very difficult. And suddenly, during the pandemic, we've been able to see change come rapidly in that area, which is great. But I'm thinking also about employers here and the market really, I suppose, has opened up for employers in terms of the pool of talent. And the pandemic is driving that, isn't it? No longer perhaps will we see employers feeling that they can only dip into a pool of talent in a particular geographical area because jobs can potentially become more flexible. And I think that will in in turn drive more investment in technology and digital transformation where we might see more flexibility for certain organizations and workforce so that'll be interesting to see as alongside some of the challenges around the, the environmental costs of people traveling and decisions that employers make in that respect looking to the future and the potential changes that may be coming i'd like to ask each of you first of all what do you think those broad changes are likely to be in summary particular how you think that's going to affect both us as individuals and and our own career paths but also what does that mean for organizations in terms of how they manage people how they recruit people how they retain people i think workplaces potentially when there is a return to offices in some form offices themselves will change many offices as places perhaps where people go to experience a certain way of working rather than just to go and sit at a desk and do work i think they'll be less formal in simple terms, dress codes seem to have disappeared, haven't they? So will dress codes return to many workplaces? We'll, we'll see. Um, and I think also this idea that family-friendly workplaces uh, is something that we, we have to see. Because if you're on Zoom calls and other you know, virtual meetings and people's cats are climbing over the back of senior executives and it's just the way it goes, then what will the office of the future look like? Perhaps there'll be more scope for people to have Uh, you know, childcare facilities or other areas like how they look after their dependents and balance that with work. And how will employers support that uh, in terms of investment and also risk assess the opportunity of changing the ways of working for people in offices? I think I would reflect on the, um, going back to my earlier point in terms of kind of the leadership of the future. And you mentioned there, Toby, about the environmental impact. And I think this last year hasn't just been about COVID, has it? It's been about the combined impact of COVID, Black Lives Matter, continued concern around climate change, environmental sustainability. And I do think that it reframes, again, I think another shift in terms of leadership, style, approach, focus, that the leader of the future and indeed the leader for now has to be able to talk authentically, passionately, genuinely around 
the combined impact of those aspects, so diversity and inclusion, environmental sustainability and health and well-being and talk about it in a way that creates meaning and affinity between the employee wherever they sit in the organization and that chief exec and that organization and some people will be better able to do that than others but I think that is a big driver and as a business school how are we going to support our chief execs our leaders to develop that sort of sensitivity to do that well because it's not easy to do that well it has to come from your inner core your inner being part of your identity as a leader and some leaders will naturally step into that space others will find it much much more of a challenge I think. That comes on to a really good point Kira obviously we're, we're talking to you from the University of Exeter Business School And I'd really like to finish on looking at what is the place of business education in all of these massive changes that we're experiencing, both in terms of how the business school helps organisations themselves, but also down, as you mentioned there, to helping develop leaders, whether that's the undergraduate level or right up to mentoring CEOs. What does someone like Exeter need to do? From my perspective, two points jump out. So one is the thought leadership so the types of discussions we are having right now and then evidence-based that help people thinking about solutions and maybe things they haven't thought about and adding one point to what Kira said in that respect, for instance, when we already think about, um, and Greg, you mentioned the talent pool is, can grow now with having the flexibility that also has implications for diversity And then as thought leaders, we should think about how that can be supported. So what does that mean for, let's say, selection assessment globally? And how do you increase your applicant pool? I think the thought leadership is very important. Of course, the educational part is the bread and butter of business schools. And what has come out of a lot of discussions we've had over summer and in the autumn that Kira, Greg and I organized as part of the Future of Work initiative were skills uh, that seem to be still in great demand are soft skills and creativity. So skills that will not go away through automation. So business schools need to equip leaders and the next generation of leaders really with these skills. And in addition, of course, tech skills, you you need them, but uh, tech skills alone won't cut it. And another skill set that came out is, if you call it a separate skill set, is but the role of the translator. So someone who can translate what it means to have techie outputs and explain to the rest of the organization in order to teach decision making what those technical results mean. And we don't actually have enough translators yet. So I, I see this as a big gap. I'd build on this really excellent points from Ilka and just reflect back on my point about the 100-year life and lifelong learning, I suppose. If we consider this concept of lifelong learning, and for the business school, where we engage with and access people who are developing their careers in different roles, and how we develop those hard and soft skills, I think we need to work with many different people out there, including policymakers and other areas of education, because folk will be coming through at different points in their life. I think I would add to that, Toby, in terms of what Ilka and Greg just said around the role of business education. And in addition to what they've both offered, I do think that there is an important role in terms of business schools as a space for reflection for our business leaders at whatever level, a space to connect with others, to challenge 
and debate thinking because there are so few spaces in a sense for people to have that opportunity to step back a little bit reflect as as Ilka said engage with the research be challenged but also to build that network of other leaders who can help them kind of maintain that resilience so for me I do think there's something around that ability to step back that role that we can play as a space for as I say reflection connectivity ideas data and evidence and that is incredibly powerful for business leaders to have that opportunity and we can give it to them in an incredibly good quality effective way what a great point to finish on really great insights there into the world of work how it's changing and how it's going to change again thank you very much for all your time thank you